My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast and ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Today's look at the life of Jesus reveals to us the extent to which some of Christ's followers went to get their needy loved ones to the Savior. Some of you may recall this account in which four friends of a paralyzed man actually tore up the roof of a house in which Jesus was preaching so that their friend could meet Jesus and be healed. A logical question one could ask when reading of this level of zeal is simply this. Why would men go to such pains to help their friend? The answer seemed reasonable enough. First, these men obviously cared deeply for this paralyzed man. Second, it is also clear that the guys sincerely believed they could get their friend to Jesus, Christ would heal him. This level of faith begs another question. Why did these men have such faith in Christ's ability to heal their friend? Again, the answer does not seem that difficult to deduce. Jesus had already performed many miracles demonstrating his power to deliver people from their afflictions and his willingness to help those who came to him. Another briefly mentioned but fascinating part of this story is the lack of helpfulness of the crowd that had gathered around Christ to the obvious needs of this man. There are no clear answers to this part of the story, but we can at least ask ourselves a few questions. First, did the four men who carried the paralyzed man try to get through the crowd or merely assume that moving through the thickly packed mass of people would be impossible? Secondly, did the men rightly understand that even if they had tried to ask people to move aside so that they could actually get their needy friend to Jesus, they would have been refused? Third, did the men actually ask folks to be helpful and let them through only to be rebuffed? Fourth, when the men went up to the roof of the house, Middle Eastern houses in Jesus' era had a flat roof with exterior stairs leading up to them, did no one see the handicapped man they carried and try to help him get to Jesus without such drastic efforts? I hope I've given you enough to get you thinking as we study today this famous account from the life of Christ, the healing of the paralyzed man. I pray you'll listen and think through the scripture with a heart to learn from God's word and to apply the words he reveals to you from it. Further, I pray that the Lord will bless you richly for listening to his word today. Your helpfulness this morning, I'd like you to turn with me please to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 1 on another one of the... Uh, Accounts of how Jesus was living his life, another of the methods of Christ. This again is one of the accounts that's recorded in, in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, they're actually called the Synoptic Gospels. And you can look at that word synoptic as optic, okay, to see, and sin, like synchronize, the idea of, of to see the same. And so the Synoptic Gospels are known, uh, those first three, to often have very similar accounts. Of course, they're looking at the same life of Christ, as we've illustrated last week, from three different um, corners of the street, as it were. And, um, and John, of course, is the outlier. He uh, will write the Gospel, his Gospel, we believe, last, and um, will give us some things that the others do not include, which is great, and it's fine. Many of John's accounts are um, actually Jesus' personal conversations as well. And so, of all the Gospels, my personal favorite is the Gospel of John, uh, where you get to kind of almost pull up a chair and listen to Jesus talk to different individuals, especially um, in the 13th, chapters 13 to 17, as he, he just spends that whole time talking to his disciples 
uh, the night that he's going to be betrayed about all kinds of things. And uh, amazing, amazing that John includes all of that. Um, and so we're coming to, to uh, a very interesting account of uh, Jesus and a paralyzed man. And so let's just go ahead and read it from Mark's uh, account. Again, there's other Gospels. I'm going to kind of bring some of their thoughts in as well. But let's just go ahead and read the passage. It's from uh, verse uh, 1. And uh, we'll probably go down to, let's see, uh, probably verse, uh, yeah, verse 12. All right, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And again he entered into Capernaum, and after some days it was, it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, inasmuch as there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, that would be he's paralyzed, okay, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where in the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason these, these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately... He arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful account uh, from the life of our Savior. Lord, we know that there's much to learn from what he's doing. And so we pray that you'll give us understanding of it and how that applies in our own lives, our own situations, we pray. Um, we give this time to thee, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'd like to, to start by thinking about John, Jesus and the, and the crowds that are around him. And um, look again at verse 1. I want you to just, again, he entered into Capernaum. Now, you need to understand that, that um, what is, I think it's Luke, will tell us, will add a little bit, because remember, there's three different accounts of this. And Luke doesn't mention the city specifically. He just calls it his town. Now, we think of Jesus as being from Nazareth because that's where he grew up. But he had preached one of his early sermons there, and they tried to kill him. And it really seems that his main location spot for much of his public ministry was this city of Capernaum. And so he's back in that city. But you'll notice it says, after some days, it was noise that he was in the house. Now, when you read that, what are, you, what are you understanding? It says, after some days, it was noise that he was in the house. They didn't know for some time that he was there, which also means what? Jesus is not advertising that he's there. He's not coming into this. Uh, again, he's been there before. He's done some, some great miracles there already. But you'll notice that he is not seeking these large crowds. 
Um, I find that interesting because sometimes I think that that um, even churches we have to be careful about self promotion. You know what I'm saying? About trying to be impressed with well, we had more people in our church on Sunday than the church down the street had. What does that matter, honestly? In the light of eternity, Jesus is not out there saying, "Okay, I want you all to come out, and you know we're going to give everybody candy if you come." He doesn't. He doesn't do that. He's not self-promoting here. Now you'll also notice, though, it's now starting to get out that he's there after a few days. We're not told how many days it was, but all of a sudden the news is getting out. So notice then verse two, and straightway many were gathered together. Insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. So we have to say, not only did Jesus not seek to promote himself here, but the crowd sought him. Once they found out he was there. So let me ask you a question. Why are people wanting to, to, to see and hear Jesus of Nazareth when he comes to town? I'm hearing something. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, a lot of it's self-interest, to be quite honest with you. Um, either, and, and it's not all bad, all right? But it's either I, I, I really um, grow because of his teaching. I'm understanding the word of God because of his teaching. And I think there are definitely people like that. But there's others, and they'll be seen here in just a moment, who know that he can heal. And so they're sending people. And let me just say this. That when you think about the work of God going forward, God's work will go forward when people are genuinely being helped. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to do self-promotion. You don't have to do all kinds of gimmicks. When people are being helped, when lives are being changed, when people, can, people could come to Jesus and they could get help. And I know many of them were looking for physical help. I get that. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with trying to bless people and help people physically. We prayed for a number of things this morning, and many of them were on the physical level. There's nothing wrong with praying about that. But I will say this. Man is more reticent, tragically, but it's more important that he seek the Lord for spiritual and eternal help. That's what we all need. And you'll find when people's lives are being genuinely changed by God, that's when others will want to come. And our challenge is, is to let God change us. And when God changes us and does a work in our lives, we're going to want to tell others about what he's doing for us. And it's not going to be about a church. It's going to be about Christ. That's what it needs to be about. So he did not seek these crowds. They sought him. Now, something else I want you to pay attention to. Um, uh, verse, keep, keep reading. We're in, we're in the bottom of verse 2. We saw that there's, he's preaching the word unto them. Now we come to verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. This guy's paralyzed, which was born of four. So you understand what, it, what he's talking about? There's a guy lying on some kind of a bed. or in a, When you think bed, think of like a, like a, a cot. That'd be a good one. Something like that. Okay, And four guys are carrying this. Okay, and why are they why are they coming? They want their friend healed. He wants to be healed. And I, again, is there anything wrong with that? No. 
Now, what about the many times you see these faith healers on television, etc. today? And I just say, I, I, this is not what Jesus was doing. Um, for instance, a faith healer, many times they, they are, um, they're basically putting the onus on you. And that is, if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed. So if, if, you don't, if, if you're not healed, then who's to blame for it? They say you are. When Jesus was healing people, it wasn't discriminate. Anybody that was coming to him, he was healing them. It's not, it's not like you see today. It really isn't. Now, does God sometimes step in and heal people? Yes. And I think those, uh, almost all of us have seen people that we can't explain it. It's just God decided that they were going to live. People that were supposed to die. And we, we've seen things like this. God sometimes does that. But we don't demand. We're not God in the flesh. I'm not God in the flesh. There's no way that I can tell God, okay, I want you to, you know, I want you to take care of Rick and, and, and I don't care so much about Mark. I can't do that. Can't do that. Now, they're seeking him, but I want you to also notice these four, these four guys are, are carrying their friend. And look again at verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. Now, don't think of the press as being the, the reporters, okay? Don't think of that. It's talking about the press of people. There's so many people there, they can't get near Jesus. Now, what are you thinking if you're carrying, if you're carrying that guy with, uh, you're one of the ones carrying this, this individual? What would you be trying to do? I'm sorry? You're trying to get close. But wouldn't you ask some people to move? Hey, I'm trying to get my friend to Jesus. I'd like to see him healed. So what's amazing to me, and I want you to keep this in mind, is that many more attended than truly followed Jesus. This is why Jesus is not overly impressed with crowds. Because you got a bunch of people there who are supposed to be at least warm to Jesus. We'll find that many of them, several of them are not. But these are supposed to be religious people. And yet, when here's a guy with a desperate need, and no one seems to be moving. Tragically, sometimes it is the church folk that drive a seeker away. Now, I'll just say this. It's not an excuse. It's not a good excuse. These guys found a way around that. You think of, um, you think of Ruth. When she comes, uh, Old Testament example, she, she is a Moabite, okay? And, and the Moabites were, were forbidden to ever really come into the congregation for a number of generations. So she's, she's really an... outsider of the outsiders and she had married into a Jewish family and her husband had died she's coming back with her mother-in-law and I was just reading this in my devotions a, a few days ago maybe a few weeks a couple weeks ago and she says to her mother-in-law she says um, your people are my people and here's the ultimate reason your God is my God and she's saying to Naomi I'm coming back with you to the land of Israel and I'm going to stay with you till you die. And after you're dead, I'm going to stay in the land of Israel. She's basically saying, I'm adopting the nation of Israel as my nation. Because I believe in Israel's God. I believe in the God of the Bible. Now, it's funny because when I read that passage, I often get a chuckle in my heart because I'm thinking, Ruth, you're adopting the nation of Israel. They're not so much interested in adopting you. 
There were many people in that nation that were very, very prejudiced against this woman. Matter of fact, one of the statements Naomi makes to her when she gets back there, and there she's now Ruth is. They didn't have welfare back then; they had uh, that gleaning. And so, if if you were if you did not have um, enough money to have any property, and you were desperately poor, you'd go out into the fields, and what was left, you would pick up, and you would, you would eat that. And so Ruth is out, and she happens to, uh, in God's providence, to light in the to, to to land in the field of a man she's eventually going to marry. It's a great story. But Naomi says to her something. She says it's good that these ladies you're working with that that you stay in that field. She said if you went to another field, they may they may accost you. They may beat you up. They're not all perfect people in the nation of Israel. But you know what Ruth said? They're my people. And can I just encourage you on this? Every person that comes to church is not godly. And you say, what's encouraging about that? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. God loves people right where they're at. And so you're going to have, in a church, you're going to have some people that may be antagonistic, who are there because maybe they have to be for some reason. Jesus has those in the crowd. You have some people that are not saved yet, and they don't act like Jesus would act. You think Jesus would have got out of the way for this guy to get, get some help? Absolutely. You got other people who maybe they are believers, but they haven't really learned to walk with God yet very maturely, and so they... And you have other people that are just, honestly, they're just not thinking. And so we have a whole mix. Church is not a museum where we come to show off who we are. Church is a hospital where we come to get help. And so, yes, there are, there are those that are unbelievers. There are those that are skeptical. There are, there's all kinds of different people in a, in a congregation. And so we see this. But these people didn't walk away because they realized there was something too important to get done. They wanted their guy to get help. He wanted to get help. And a few thoughtless people, maybe even many thoughtless people, wasn't going to stop them. Some people walk away from church and say, well, those people weren't very nice, or that pastor wasn't very friendly, or whatever the excuse is. Can I just, again, tell you, that if it's important enough to you to get help, you'll go the extra mile. And that's what is happening in this situation. But we see more people attended than truly followed Christ at this point. One other thought about Jesus and the crowds, and that is many in the crowd did not have the spirit of Christ. That's pretty obvious. And, and when I say they don't have the spirit of Christ, I'm saying that they're unhelpful. They, they're not moving. You find this several times, by the way. I don't know if you remember the story of blind Bartimaeus. But he hears Jesus is coming by. And he starts yelling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know what the crowd's saying? Be quiet. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you were blind, and you had a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to come across Jesus of Nazareth, you think you'd want to cry out? Well, why is this crowd unhelpful? Why are they not helping these five guys? Especially the guy on the stretcher. How come they're not helping? 
Okay, I'm hearing it whispered because they really don't care. Folks, that cannot be for a Christian. We don't have the right to do that. We've got to see things differently. If we have the Lord's Spirit upon us, we ought to see things differently. We've got to see people and their needs. All right, let's notice then Jesus, and um, by the way, the crowd can even hinder. I won't even go into that uh, just for time's sake, but there's a passage there. For those of you that may be taking notes. Um, Jesus and these desperate believers. Let's, let's talk about the five. And I want you to put yourself, um, first of all, in the hands, in, in, in the place of the paralyzed man, okay? And um, I want you to think about, uh, uh, let, me, let me do the friends first. Because I think they, we, we deal with them before we deal with the paralyzed man. Okay, let's go back to verse 3. They come to him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, so they're, they're, they're running into this crowd, and the crowd is not helpful. They uncovered the roof where he was, which means they've got to carry this guy up on top of the roof. Now, when you think of the roof in Jesus' day in the Middle East, and, and I, by the way, I think it's still that way some, um, they, they have flat roofs, okay? And that tended to be like, in, and especially in Jesus' day, that was, that was almost like their, their deck, where you'd entertain people. So you'd have a, a wall around the top of it, um, and that was actually a, a Jewish law, that you had to have a battlement or a, a, a wall around the top so that people wouldn't fall off. And, and you'd have stairs, okay? So you, and it'd be flat, and it'd be a nice place to re re relax, and you might even have some, some um, uh, maybe fruits drying or anything like that up there. And they tended to make it with like some thatch, and um, mud on top of it that they would, would really pack down. And it was, it was a pretty nice place to be, especially when the day got cooler and you wanted to have a little, um, maybe some friends or maybe just uh, a little time to yourself. So the people got this idea, the, the four that are carrying the guy and maybe the guy himself, I don't know, but they got the idea of, of let's go up and uh, let's, let's see if we can break through the roof. Now, can you imagine that scene? As you're standing there, and, and maybe you're, you're, you're hanging at the window, because everybody, this house is just packed inside and out. And you're trying to hear what Jesus is saying, because he's preaching. And all of a sudden, you hear this, this banging on, on the roof. And before too awful long, the, I mean, the banging keeps going. And, and before too, you see, see some, some stuff starting to fall out of the roof. And all of a sudden, light starts popping through. It'd be pretty distracting, would it not? These people are desperate. They're desperate to get their friend to Jesus. The crowd had hindered them, but the crowd didn't stop them. Because the crowd was not their focus. What was their focus? Right, getting their friend to Christ. That was it. Because these guys believed... If we can get our friend to Jesus, this guy is going to be healed. That's what they believed. And I'll tell you this too. That bigger than the healing of... Because this man eventually dies, does he not? We don't see him today. Bigger than the healing of this man physically is, is what Jesus is going to do for him when he actually encounters him. So we've looked at the paralyzed man's desperate friends. Um... Let's talk about the paralyzed man himself. And I want you to put yourself in, in his spot for just a moment. Okay, what's his, obvi what's his obvious problem? 
Don't think too deeply. He's paralyzed. Thank you. He's paralyzed. He can't help himself. Okay? And humanly speaking, there's no answer. Okay. But what is his cultural mindset? This is important to understand this account. I really think this is key. What is the cultural mindset of when you had a major calamity in your life? What did they think in Jesus' day? If you're just that, joining okay, us, you're listening something. to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Coffee's right, Baptist Church. The, the cultural mindset, now, let's go to John to chapter message. 9. The cultural mindset is that if a major calamity happened to you, you must have done something to make God angry. Let me show it to you. Two spots you see it in John chapter 9. You see it in Jesus' own disciples. Okay? Look at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So what's the assumption? Somebody sinned for this handicap to take place. That's what they thought. They would have thought, they would have even gone to the extent, when they said, did he sin or his parents? Now, it makes sense that your parents would, you know, that they could have, could have sinned. It doesn't make sense, but you understand that you could say, okay, well, maybe they did something wrong. But they're actually saying, well, if his parents didn't do it, could he have sinned in the womb? That was even their thought. To be born blind. They didn't just think it. Skip down to, let's see, maybe, uh, verse 34. These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. These are like the, the scribes and the Pharisees guys, okay? These are the religious rabbis. And they're talking to this guy after he's been delivered from blindness. Jesus had healed him. They answered and said unto him, unto the, blind, the formerly blind man, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So from the rabbis themselves... To even Jesus' disciples, because they had been not been taught by Jesus this way. He straightened them out on this. But, but they had learned. that. So that's what their whole thought. If, if you have a major calamity, you must have done something to make God angry. So think about this. You're on the stretcher. You've already been taught this. That it's your... You've done something to make God angry. That's why you're, you're paralyzed. Okay? And now you're thinking, maybe there's hope. I can get to Jesus. And you, you show up. You, you got the, five good, the four good friends carrying you. And what a blessing they are. And then your heart sinks as you think about the fact, oh, great, I can't. And, and what would be the tendency for you to think when you see this crowd there? And they're not even helping you to get to Jesus. Have you, have you, I don't know if, if, if any of you had this thought, but it's like, well, maybe this isn't God's will. Maybe God doesn't want to help me. Maybe I've sinned in such a way that he can't and won't help me. Maybe I made him too angry. He just wants me to be paralyzed the rest of my life. You see his problem. You see his cultural mindset. I, I submit to you, this guy actually was afraid. And I'll tell you why I think he was afraid. It's not found in the Gospel of Mark. 
But it's in Matthew's account of the same incident. When Jesus encounters him, he said this to him, be not afraid <laughs> or be of good cheer. So if he's telling him, don't be afraid or be of good cheer, what is that telling you? He was afraid. And why is he afraid? Because in all probability, as, as if you think about the whole mindset of his, of his background and what he's been taught, he's thinking, well, with all that's going on today, when I was hoping to get to Jesus, maybe this means God really doesn't care about me. Maybe I've sinned too much for God to help me. Okay, understanding that, now let's go back and let's notice what happens when he encounters his best friend. And I'm talking about Christ here. Those four guys are really good friends. They've been very loyal to him. They, they didn't give up when the crowd was, was not helpful. They carried him up on the roof. They broke the roof up in order to get their friend to Jesus. So let's go back to our text. It's Mark chapter 2 again. I'm going to read again, starting at verse 4. When they could not come nigh for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And he's in the bed, by the way, just in case you're wondering. So they lower him down to Jesus. Verse 5. When Jesus saw, notice it, their faith. The four friends and the guy on the bed. This was quite a desperate effort for them to get him to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, you're healed. Is that what he said? No. Remember, Matthew adds, and Matthew, by the way, is a first-hand witness. Mark wasn't, may, may not have been there. Matthew adds, he says, be of good cheer or don't be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. Notice that Jesus honored all five people's faith. And you'll also notice that Jesus met this man's greatest needs. If the man had been healed that day, but his sins were not forgiven, where would he be today? Where would he be? He'd be in hell. That's why, again, when, whenever we pray for the people on our list... I'm always concerned not so much about the temporal needs, which are, which are fine. They're, they're things that God cares about, but that is nothing compared to what he cares about on the eternal level. And can I tell you just from personal experience that there are times when it's far better for an individual to be suffering greatly physically that they might be brought to Christ than to be healed. And I've seen it. Remember, I was living near Moscow, Pennsylvania, just down the road here about an hour. And there was a guy that, um, he, he was uh, 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 married to one of the ladies in our church. And got cancer really bad, lung cancer. He'd smoked for a number of years. And so I would go to visit him. And as a result of the fact that he was dying. He began to think about eternity a whole lot more. And I did not personally lead him to the Lord. I believe somebody else in his family did. 
But there came a time when, in, with all of the pain and the agony that he was going through in his, in, in, in his last days, where he accepted Christ as his Savior and prepared to meet God. I am glad that God didn't just snap his fingers and give him comfort because he may never have turned to Christ. Many people have taken God's blessing and God's deliverance and have walked away from the Lord at that point. But Jesus... Jesus honored these people's faith, but he met the man's greatest needs. And I, I just believe this. As, as I read this story, I, I, I believe that the man is, is being lowered down there and he's thinking this. How can God deliver me from my paralysis? I'm a sinner. And just like Jesus is going to read the minds of, of his enemies, he's seeing what this man's heart is really expressing. And that is, I need forgiveness. And so Jesus doesn't start with the fact of you're paralyzed. He's coming to his real need, and that is you're, you're seeing that you're a sinner, and I forgive you. The biggest problem, I was visiting somebody just recently, and, and the biggest problem is, is to see the man as a sinner, that you, need, that you need forgiveness, that you need salvation. It's not just everybody else. Josh did a great job talking about that this morning in Sunday school for the adults. The, the, Jesus met this man's greatest needs. He, he called uh, this man his son, by the way. And he's probably younger. It's an expression of endearment. You know what Jesus is doing? He's really, he's, he's saying, you're, I, I'm, I'm adopting you into my family. You're going to be one of my sons. You're going to be one of my children. And he says, your sins are forgiven. I'm cleansing you from your greatest need. Now, at this point, we have some skeptical people in the audience. They've already they've been standing there. They've not been saying anything. And they wouldn't say anything at this moment either. But look at verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Now, scribes are, are experts in... Think of them... They, sometimes we call lawyers, but the idea is they study the, 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 the law. And the law for the nation of Israel is the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. Specifically, the first five books. And they would also know traditions beside that. So these are people who are supposed to be scholars and, and, and much of their scholarship is in the Bible. And so th notice what they do. They're sitting, they're, there, was, there are certain scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They're not saying anything out loud. But they're just saying in their hearts, why does this man speak, uh, thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus just told that guy his sins were forgiven. How can he do that? That is a blasphemous act. Only God can forgive sin. Were they right on that? That only God can forgive sin? Yeah, they are. If you're fast, I'll take you just back to one scripture. It's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9. Daniel's praying to the Lord. Daniel, one of the most godly men of the Old Testament... Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9. Here's what he says in his prayer. He's right. This is in scripture. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses that we have rebelled against him. God, you own the issues of mercy and forgiveness. 
You're the one that has to forgive. He's right. And these guys were right on that. Now, they didn't say anything out loud. But they assumed that Jesus had blasphemed. So, I want you to also notice that they understood only that, that, that only God can forgive sin. And they were right on that. Now, um, so this is a, you can understand the tension here. This, Jesus has just done something to illustrate that he is, in fact, not just a mere prophet, that he is God in the flesh. That's really what he's, that's what he's claiming without, without saying too much. That's what he's really claiming here. And I want you to notice how Christ reacts to these skeptics. You'll notice that... Um, uh, that what he does is he shows that he knows their thoughts. He says, why, and I'm in the bottom, bottom of verse 8, why reason these things in your hearts? Why would you think about that? Whether it is easy to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now, I've thought about that question over and over again. And rather interesting, I was listening um, this past week to a, a message on this passage from, um, oh, and you'd know who it is, R.R.R.C. Sproul, um, who uh, for a number of years, he's, he's dead now, but he was in, in, uh, preached at Moody Bible Institute and other places. And I thought R.C. had an interesting point because I've often, I've, I've always looked at Jesus' statement here um, in, in the regards to our culture. Now, for instance, if it, just if you look at it from, from a 21st century uh, aspect, which is easier to say to a person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, okay, rise up, you're no longer paralyzed, which is easier to do from our culture? It's easier to say forgiven, your sins are forgiven because no one can check that. Are you with me? So someone comes to me and they've got an issue and I can say, well, your sins are forgiven. No one can check that. But now, if you've got a paralyzed person, and you bring that paralyzed person to me, and I say, okay, rise up and walk, you can check that one. If it doesn't happen, you know that I'm, I've not got the power. So I've always looked at it from that aspect. But what I haven't done is looked at it from the aspect of Jesus' time period. Were there other prophets in the Old Testament era who healed people? There were. There were people that could be prophets that would heal people. But if you are claiming the right to forgive sins, you are claiming, in fact, and they're right on this, to be God. And what happened to those who blasphemed God? What was the rule for, in Jesus' culture and his nation for those that blasphemed God? They put you to death. So Jesus is, is making the, the harder claim. He's saying, yeah, I'm saying I can forgive this guy's sins, which, yes, means I'm God. And, yes, I'm going to prove to you that I can do it by raising this guy up. That's what he says. Look at verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, 
I say to thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And immediately he arose. It's kind of funny. Whenever you watch, um, and I enjoy watching films on the life of Christ, as long as they're not too far. There's some wacky ones out there. And I really get irritated with those. But often, even when you see ones that are more conservative, try to stick with the text and don't read all kinds of stuff into it. When you, you often watch when Jesus does a healing and a person will stand up and they'll like tremble and they'll, oh, maybe kick. That's not how this is described. This is described not as a guy just beginning to take his first step. He get, jumps up immediately. Walks out of there, full power. It's demonstrating the fact that Jesus is not a mere prophet. He is saying, I am, I am God in the flesh and I have the right to forgive sins. And by the way, why does he have the right to forgive sins? It's not merely because he's powerful. I've told you on many occasions, some of you weren't here, but of, of a, a discussion I had with a, with a, uh, with a Muslim fellow who told me how that Allah is so great he can forgive sins. And I said, that's not fair. And I was right on that. Made him mad, but it was right. It's not fair. You can't, you can't just because you have power forgive sins. Someone has to pay the penalty or it's unjust. Jesus can forgive sins because Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to lay down his life for this man's sins. He's going to pay for this man's sins. It's not unjust because he is the Savior who's going to die in our place. And he's demonstrating to this crowd that they, many of them tragically don't get it. Yes, I have the right to forgive sins because I am in fact God in the flesh. Now we have Jesus and the entire group. We've got the skeptics there. We've got the five guys there. We've got the crowd there. What is, how is the entire group responding to this? We're in the middle of verse 12. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never sought on this fashion. So you'll notice that many glorified God at this point, but many did not completely understand it. Now the scribes, I think they got what was going on and what Jesus is claiming here. But they didn't want to believe that. They were rejecting that. The tragedy was also not only the skeptics who walked away continuing to be skeptical. But the tragedy also was the people that should have gotten the fact that Jesus is not claiming to be a mere prophet. He's claiming to be God in the flesh. Matter of fact, I would like you to take it. You, you, you can leave um, Mark behind because we, we finished here. And go with me to Matthew chapter 11. It's the book in front of Mark. Okay, Matthew chapter 11. And you want to pick up at verse 20. Late in Jesus' ministry, he talks about cities that he had done great and mighty works in, and Capernaum was one of them. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 20. I think this takes place after the events that we're reading this morning. Then he began to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. See, that's what God was after. He was after them seeing that they were sinners, that they needed a Savior and repenting of their sins. That's what he wants from all of us. 
Notice Jesus speaking now. Woe to the Chorazin, that's one of the cities. Woe to the Bethsaida. By the way, he took several of his disciples out of Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, those are two ancient pagan cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because they had seen so many miracles. Verse 23. And thou Capernaum, that's where Jesus was at in our story today. Which art exalted unto heaven. They'd seen so many miracles there. Shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Why? Because they had so much knowledge. So many opportunities. I close by asking you to consider Jesus and you. Where would you fit in this account? Let me give you several of the options. First of all, would you fit in with the crowd, being a member of the crowd? And there are different people in that crowd. There's, they're the, the believing and the growing people, like the disciples, like, like uh, many of the, the ladies who are following Jesus as well. And they're listening and they're growing and they're taking everything in that they possibly can. Maybe you're in that group. Maybe you're um, one of the ones that's listening and curious. You don't know yet what you think. And you're watching, seeing what's going on. I'm sure there were people like that in the crowd that day. Maybe you're skeptical and unbelieving like, like those religious leaders. And then you're not saying anything out loud. But you're not... You're not buying into Jesus. You're not, you're not willing to admit. In spite of the evidence, you're not willing to admit that he's the son of God. The, fact, the very fact that he read your mind, knew what you were thinking, going to walk away. Maybe you think of yourself as a paralyzed man. You say, well, what would make me feel like that? Well, if you're coming with a need that's absolutely hopeless. I mean, there's just, first of all, salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't earn your way into heaven. There's not, you can't even get close to that. I have to understand that I, I, there's no way I'm going to save myself. I'm not going to pull myself up into heaven by my bootstraps. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm like that paralyzed man. Maybe you're coming with another burden. And be honest with you, unless God helps, there's no solution. Maybe if God doesn't help my marriage, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. We're too deeply hurt. God doesn't help with... With whatever issue it is, you're like the paralyzed man. Do not let the crowd stop you. Well, I started to come to Jesus and somebody was nasty to me at the door or somebody was took my seat or whatever, whatever it was. Don't let the crowd stop you. They're not all believers. They're not all followers. Shame on the person that walks away. From God's house because of somebody that is in the crowd that probably isn't even a follower him or herself. Or if they are, they're immature. You ought to care about Christ more than that. You ought to see your need more than that. Number two, focus on Christ, not the crowd. Say, so, well, I, I, maybe I fit with the, with the person in the crowd. Maybe I fit with the paralyzed guy. How about the friends of the paralyzed man? Maybe you have someone that you believe Jesus can help them. By the way, Christ can't. 
It's not a myth. It's not an ax. God can help. Do you believe that Jesus can help your loved one? You got maybe someone and, and, and they've got a drug problem or, or they're, they're bound by alcohol or whatever it is. Have you thought about the fact that Christ can help? And, and, and so what, what extent will you work to get him or her to Christ? Maybe you're like that paralyzed man. Maybe you're like his friends. Maybe you're, maybe you're like the skeptics. You know, let me ask you two questions if you're a skeptic. What does he need to do more to convince you? I can look around this building this morning and I can see people that lives have gone and changed because of what God did. Not because of what any of us did, because of what God did. What does Christ, what would Christ need to do more? Because by the way, he eventually raises a guy from the dead four days after he was dead. And that didn't convince these guys. So let me ask you this question. Is your problem really evidence or is it rebellion? Because I'll guarantee you the people in Jesus' day, the problem wasn't evidence. The problem was rebellion. Bottom line is simply this. We learn from this story, let nothing stop you from getting to Jesus. Let nothing stop you. He's the answer. It's not in a church. Not in the denomination. It's in Jesus Christ. Let nothing stop you from getting to him. And all those other excuses need to melt away when you really understand how important it is to get to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. What an example of these five guys. The crowd didn't stop them. The roof didn't stop them. They were convinced they needed to get to Jesus and they got there. And they got help. Lord, there's not a person of us in this room this morning that can fix problems that are really eternal and significant. We can't do it. We don't have that power. You have that power. And I'm grateful that that power rests in the God of the universe and, and He is here, present with us. Lord, for those who, like the paralyzed man, have no way they're ever going to get to heaven, may they see that. I mean, they realize that like the paralyzed man, their biggest need is not whatever physical need they may think they have. It's, it's salvation. And again, they're paralyzed to be able to do that too. But Christ can, 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 can forgive sin because he died for us. He can save us. I pray for people to be saved this morning, Lord. We pray also, Lord, for those who are like the skeptic. And the real problem, Lord, is not evidence as much as it is rebellion. May they see that and be willing to humble their hearts before thee, for it is too late. Lord, for those of us who are trying to learn and grow, Lord, help us to be more compassionate for those around us. Help us not to be like this crowd.
unhelpful, unconcerned. Oh, Lord, deliver us from that. But we pray that in spite of the foolishness of those that say they follow you, Lord, we pray for earnest souls to keep pressing on and to find the Savior. We thank you for the, this account and for what it means for us today. We pray you'll drive the truth home to each heart. In Jesus' name. At the end of the message, Pastor Jones mentioned different groups in this story. Do you see yourself in one of those sets of individuals? First, there was the crowd listening to Jesus. Some of them may have only been curious about Jesus and quite skeptical of him. Others were true believers, and at least some who might have seen the paralyzed man seem to have been unconcerned with his need for Jesus' help. Others of you might more closely identify with the paralyzed man. You have a need that only God himself can solve. You might feel rejected by those who are supposed to be Christ followers who seem to be more interested in their own desires than in helping you with your huge need. Remember not to focus on the crowd around Jesus, for many of them are not even true followers. Keep your eyes on Jesus and get to him. This does not mean you reject church entirely, but you make sure to go to a place where Christ is preached that you might encounter him. Still others of you might identify with the friends of the paralyzed man. You know what Jesus can do and you love one who you know Jesus can help, but obstacles are in the way. Keep persevering. We have no idea who came up with the suggestion that the handicapped man in our story should be carried to Jesus, but the whole group of them had to overcome a whole host of problems in order to get to Jesus, but it was worth it. Keep praying and seeking a way to get your loved one to Christ. If you would like some extra spiritual help like counseling, prayer, or some help with questions from the Bible, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Maybe while you were listening, someone came to your mind who could profit from this message. You can send your friend a link to this podcast at RadioBold.com slash let me also invite you to our annual Wild Game Supper to be held in our family center at 527 Calkins Road in Milanville at 6 p.m. on March 26th. I'll try to give you some more information in upcoming broadcasts. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. For me, for me he died. Sting life and light, he free.